Welcome back to the Criterion Connection, a podcast where two film lovers explore the Criterion Collection by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema. Every two weeks, we craft a double feature of films connected through one element or another. The only caveat, those films must be a part of the Criterion Collection. We also highlight new additions to the collection, hidden gems on the Criterion channel, and more. As always, I'm Ian, and she's Mackenzie. Hello. Hello, and this week we are starting off a new double feature, Mackenzie and I. We are talking about spy number 1160, Spike Lee's epic, epic biopic, Malcolm X, of the late civil rights leader and leader of the Nation of Islam. Holy shit, Mackenzie, this is scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely feel like a little underqualified to talk about some of the elements of this film but uh i think it's going to be an interesting conversation i mean this is our second time returning to spike right we watched do the right thing and i feel like that and malcolm x are his two like most famous pieces maybe that maybe i would throw something like black Klansman in there now for like a modern modern masterpiece or you know modern film that people love from him um but yeah i feel like malcolm x and do the right thing are his two big ones so we're returning to the world of mr spike lee Yeah, and uh, as you were saying before we started recording, this is a huge flex from Spike Lee, and so definitely excited to get into it to the nitty gritty. There's like so much to talk about. This is a 200 plus minute long film. Um, I had to take a break for dinner and then come back to it, Um, which you know didn't 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 harm the uh, viewing at all. I want I'm excited to talk about it, but I feel like this is almost three separate films contained within Mm. one. Um, but mm-hmm. that will be in a moment before we get to that, Mackenzie. I know you said you didn't watch it that much before we started recording, but I got to know yeah. maybe one or two things. What are you talking about over at ADP? What was your week like watching wise? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't watch a lot of movies because I got into it over at ADP. Um, I am now in love with Renee Rapp. So I watched a lot Ooh. of uh, Sex Lives of College Girls. <laughs> uh, and I will be thirst watching Mean Girls, everyone, uh, because that oh, is a... Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful woman right there. And I'm a little in love with her. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yes, she, she's taking over my my thoughts now. And so, yeah, I watched a lot of Sex Lives of College Girls. Got into that over at ADP. But that took a lot of my watching away. So I didn't watch a ton of movies. Uh, what did I check out? Um, you know, just a recommendation for uh, on over on Mubi, which is kind of like our 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 favorite our second favorite uh streaming service outside the criterion channel um fall leaves a film that many people thought would break into the oscar nominations and international feature and i think international feature we're not going to talk oscars but i think had the most shocks for me there was some films that just were not in the conversation that kind of snuck in there um and some ones that were that snuck out i.e the Taste of Things and mm-hmm. Fallen Leaves. Uh, oh yeah, The Taste of Things. Rip a Rudy. I will still be seeing you. I cried to the trailer. I, I also saw All of the Strangers, which I won't talk about in detail because you haven't seen it. But like sitting in the theater for All of the Strangers, Taste of Things trailer came on and I teared up. I was so moved by the trailer. I am so ready for that movie. If uh, there was ever a more Mackenzie movie coming out, <laughs> oh my I don't goodness. know what is. It the is, woman with it's... Babette's feast in her top four. Made I know. You. I I literally. I can't stop thinking about that. That's feast. I've watched it once and it's getting up to a year ago now. And I cannot stop thinking about that movie. <laughs> I, I, and I love that with the header, it looks like Babette's looking at my picture. Like if you go to my profile, it looks like Babette's kind of looking down on me and it makes me happy. Uh, anyway, 
uh it's very good it's good it's good design i, I you're like right, that you're right oh yeah. yeah that's good she's especially on me. desktop this is yeah. good <laughs> babette's peeping me we gotta do babette's feast on this damn podcast so i can watch it again. i i'm um, very excited to get to that one yeah and but all of that just that's not the thing i was going to talk about because another film that people thought was going to get into uh international and did not was uh fallen leaves um from aki korsmaki i don't think i'm saying mm-hmm. that name correct in any capacity um but uh yeah it's on movie now it's kind of an exclusive movie streaming thing in the u.s i'm sure it's streaming in other countries as well if you're listening across the globe um but it's it's interesting i Ian, I'm very curious for you to watch this. A, a lot of people that are my mutuals have fallen completely head over heels for this movie. Love mm-hmm. it, love it, love it so much. It is, uh, someone described it as like before sunset vibes, but uh, for like poor working class people, which I, mm. I definitely agree. It is, um, it is a kind of just slow, small little romance between these two people who are poor working class uh this woman who kind of she's working at a grocery store but when she's caught taking sandwiches occasionally she's fired uh you know because she's just trying to live and and you kind of watch her bounce from job to job and you see this guy who's dealing with some latent alcoholism who works kind of a factory job um deal with like being a depressed alcoholic working a factory job which is not the best place to be drunk on the job or when you work in a factory and so they both are kind of unsatisfied in their various work um things and they kind of meet through mutual friends at like a karaoke bar and it's about the two of them kind of just like they don't exactly fall in love immediately right in the way that maybe a before sunset does they kind of just keep running into each other and are forced to eventually sort of reconcile uh the fact that like fate is clearly pushing them together in some way. Uh, and I don't want to get to the third act. The third act is there's a kind of major twist that then happens that takes us into kind of the emotional crux of the third act. And I gave it three and a half stars or in my new kind of, I, I am actually kind of in love with my half, my full star rating system. So mm-hmm. I still, to me it's three and a half, but to everyone else it's three and a heart. I liked it a lot. I didn't fall completely head over heels for it. Um, mm. To me, the world felt a bit too small. Like everything felt very set-y, I guess. Like it looks like the like uh, just the production design. I know this sounds very weird, nitpicky thing, but the production design was just kind of bland in a way that like they just felt like there were these big empty rooms with a few couches in a way that made the world not feel very lived in or, or real to me in a way that I felt the story kind of needed because it's a pretty grounded story uh, that has a lot of realism to it. I don't know if that's just how like people in finland decorate like maybe that's just if you're finnish let me know maybe you're like no we love just like a single couch and a weird painting on the wall uh we love our homes to look like empty asylums i I don't know but it it just the production design was very left me lacking and uh yeah like i i cared about the 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 lead female character uh she gets a dog at one point and that dog is very cute but uh, I didn't care about the relationship very much. I think that you have to really, really identify with the characters or one of them in order to really buy into the relationship, in order to buy into the film, if that makes sense. And I think that I stopped at the first place. I didn't really identify with the characters in a way that allowed me to lean in, open my heart a little more to the story. So for me personally, it didn't work as well as it's worked for others, but I do want to recommend it only because it's a shorty. It's 81 minutes. It's so short, really easy to watch. It's like such a chill film. It doesn't really require a lot of you mentally to, uh, to really 
focus in on it. And there's a lot of my f- mutuals. So at least half of them have given this forward five stars. Like there's a lot of people I follow who are, who have just really given themselves over to this film and really, really love it. And so I think that like, I am in a minority people really dig this film has a 3.8 average on letterboxd. Uh, I've never watched this director before. Um, I believe he has a film in the collection, actually the other side of hope I believe is in the collection and uh, it's on the channel. And that's another film of this director. So he's definitely a celebrated director. I've never watched his films before, but I, I just realized this other side of hope is on the channel. So maybe I'll check it out soon. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I want to recommend it. See how you feel about it. I think it's worth checking out. You know, it didn't quite crack into international feature, but that doesn't mean it should be forgotten as a film, uh, as a really nice, sweet little film that came out from last year. So I, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'd especially be interested to see if you connect with it at all. Like, I, I think you might like, I think you might like it. It's kind of that kind of chill storytelling vibe that I know you like. It's been one of the lingering films from 23 that I still want to check out. I need to re-up movie in order to do so. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it definitely is interesting to me. He's a very widely celebrated director. And you're right, Mackenzie. I look at people I follow on Letterboxd and not a rating below four. And the one person who's given it four is a tough cookie to crack. So, you know, uh, pretty much universal acclaim, at least from within my own echo chamber but yeah yeah um and yeah i think the other big thing i saw was all of us strangers uh hard to talk about (laughs) because uh i you haven't seen it and presumably you listener you might not have seen it either uh and it is one of those films that like it's one of those films where a lot of it is in the trailer so if you've seen the trailer a lot of it's there but also like so much of it is not in the trailer so if you've seen the trailer and you're like ah i've already seen it all i promise you there are plenty of surprises to be had um it is a divisive movie. We talk, I don't know if we talked on air or off air about you mentioning reading about there being uh, especially a single moment that that really the film, it, it tapers off and either you're with it or you're not. Uh, I personally was not with it. Um, but the more I sat with it, I go, am I? It's a very complicated and divisive film that the more I think about it, the more I change on it. Like the more I, I and I think a rewatch will be extremely beneficial to a film like that because if you didn't like the ending, then maybe you can go in with different expectations and experience the film again. I, th- I really think a rewatch is going to settle all the strangers better with me, but see it if only for the great writing and the great acting. I mean, good Lord, Andrew Scott accesses a depth of emotion that is um, mind boggling and not every actor on this earth can do. <laughs> and uh, it is, I-, I think Andrew Scott has a few key scenes that just need to be seen to be believed. They're incredible. Claire Foy is incredible. Uh, Jamie Bell, kind of weirdly the MVP for me in that movie. Like, amazing, subtle performance. Um, nothing against Paul Meskel. He's great in it as well. I know everybody's big Paul Me- we, we love Paul Meskel. We love him. After Son, are you kidding me? Um, but we call him Daddy. Yes. he. Uh, we, we, I love that weird little scamp. He seems like such a weirdo. Have you heard that rumor about him running away on dates? Have you heard about that? I've heard about this. Yeah. That's deeply funny to me that he'll just run away from people. Like he is such a little like London fuckboy in a way that I find so funny because yeah. he has such sweet energy. But anyone yeah. apparently that is in London is like he's cuckoo. Uh, I think that's very funny and relatable. He's young. He's allowed to be kind of weird. Yeah. I think. But um, yeah. It's I mean it's really it's a forehander. It's really the four of them. And um, yeah, Andrew Scott's performance is stunning. Wouldn't have been mad if he stunning. Should've. 
Stunning. Wouldn't have been uh, mad if he showed up at the Oscars, but he did show up at the BAFTAs, deservedly so. And uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a really good movie. I it's one of those you kind of just have to see and make your mind up about it. Yeah. Uh, I agree with our friend Kev's review, where your own experiences with grief and loss will paint this film for you. It is a film designed to pick at scabs if you are someone Mm. like me who has lost a parental figure or someone close to you in that way uh it is designed to go beep 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 and just rip that Mm. scab right off so you're bleeding Mm. all over the floor like it is a film made to do that and i think that people will have a different um i don't know levels of enjoying that i think so yeah because sometimes people love to go have a good cry. It's just like you can't, I don't know, if you don't cry at least once in that movie, I don't know what's, like, something's yeah. up. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so again, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to build it up. I haven't hopefully spoiled any, like, thematic elements, but just, like, prepping you all to how it feels going in. It's a very emotional film. It's a very heavy film. Um, and it's a divisive film. I think it's going to be more divisive once more people see it than people realize, so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Watched a lot of 2023 films, baby. Ian, I'm very eager nice. for you to see all the strangers so we can talk about it in our DMs for hours. Me, me, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm very eager to see it. Hopefully I will get to see it in a theater, but honestly doubtful. It's not playing anywhere near me. It's but... being, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny release. It's really weird. Yeah. Unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Uh, I also checked out Vertigo on the channel, which I didn't have, I don't have feelings about it, honestly, but you famously said, why am I bored though? So uh <laughs> were you bored though i wasn't bored but i wasn't engaged but i also was watching it sure. during the day while i was doing some work so maybe not a detriment to hitchcock maybe just a detriment to my attention span that morning um right. i love the last like chunk of it like yeah, the last the most interesting part for the, sure the part where he like begins to i'll spoil vertigo because it's fucking old ass movie yeah. but like the part where he begins to sort of morph her into yeah. who he wants her to be and like the, i think the um the vileness of that jimmy character begins to yeah. really bubble to the surface i thought that was really cool i wish it got to that quicker and i think that it, the film would feel more balanced yeah. i think no, um <laughs> because i i do think you need the build to get to why he is doing this like you need the obsession building to then pay off that last part of the film i wish it was I just wish there was a bit more balance. Like I wish the, those two parts were a little bit more even because really that part's only like 20 minutes, like the last 20 minutes of the film. Um, but it looks gorgeous. I mean, of course it looks stunning. I, I definitely think it's not as good as rear window though, which I watched oh, recently. No. And so it's not at all kind of shocking to me that it was always number one on sight and sound for like 50 fucking years because I'm yeah. like, it's rear windows better. <laughs> like rear window is just so much better than, than it's so much more engaging. It's so much more, technically like taut yeah like vertigo just feels so bloated and so overblown and just a little bit like unwieldy like it gets away from the audience i thought hitchcock was known for these really just like you know like precise you Mm -hmm. know you know very intricate clocks you know these you know machines that are just so tightly wound and oiled so precisely and that's what rear window is to me vertigo just feels kind of like a mess but hey people love it no people love it i think it's again i think it's good like i i i i there's like I'm kind of just like in a middle ground with Hitchcock. I'm like either I fucking hate it or I'm like oh it's pretty good. Like yeah. like I've never I, I Rear Windows maybe the one that I've been like that's a masterpiece for me. I I just Agreed. don't know if he's a director for me and I think that's okay. Um, maybe one day we'll visit him. He has a few films in the collection, but um, 
yeah, I liked it. I think Rewind was so much better. So I was kind of just like, why is Vertigo so, like the number one? People whining about Gene Dealman being number one. And I'm like, at least that's like an interesting new pick. It's not just Vertigo again. Like, I don't know. Um, again, not that it's bad. Like, it looks gorgeous. I'm, and I also like, after the fact, I was reading about the kind of meta narrative of like Hitchcock. It, it like the way he transforms like the met i don't know how to describe this in a way that makes any sense yeah, but like but i know where you're going you know hitchcock person does as well yeah hitchcock's obsession with a certain type of woman right we see it in all of his films and you almost see jimmy force a woman to become a hitchcock blonde and there's like a meta narrative of almost the way hitchcock does that to women as well it, it does feel like he's almost acknowledging his own his own i don't know misogyny question mark like it the meta narrative of vertigo is kind of interesting that i i didn't notice while i was watching it but reading about it afterward i was like oh that's that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know it's good but uh (laughs) rear window's better i think to catch a thief might be a little bit better for me too i don't know that's another one i watched recently psycho i think is better i think it's just not i think it's top tier quote-unquote hitchcock maybe but but not the not, not the toppest of the tier, yeah. and I and I yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. That the my biggest gripe is like, why is sight and sound obsessed with this? But yeah, for sure. Who knows? But Ian, I've been rambling long enough. What did you watch this week? Had a pretty good week, Mackenzie. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, I watched three. Uh, one of the highlights was I watched three Kelly Reichardt movies. Who is in the collection? I did not watch a film of hers that is represented in the collection, though. I watched. Some of those outside still. Maybe they'll be in one day. Maybe not. Doesn't really matter. Um, just in succession, I watched Meek's Cutoff, which is a revisionist Western by her. Night Moves, which is, you know, uh, Speak of the Devil, a Hitchcockian thriller of hers. Ooh. And then Wendy and Lucy, which is more of like a, you know, deep uh, focused character study of a, you know, drifter, which loved all of them the most. Uh, I loved one was Meek's cut off the first one, which is just this amazingly beautiful film. Very slow, very patient, probably the slowest Reichardt film I've seen. And I think it's widely accepted to be um, at least one of hers that requires a um, large amount of patience. Um, mm. Very sparse when it comes to dialogue and plot, but it's essentially about people, uh, pioneers uh, setting out on the Oregon trail. And they are led by a cowboy named Meek played by Bruce Greenwood in a, transformative performance i've never seen him do anything like this like he's gruff he's dirty he's bad (laughs) bad guy um and he has no idea what he's doing and he's leading these people maybe to their demise that's not spoiling anything it's a very ambiguous film we don't really ever find out what happens uh which i love about her and i'm discovering uh that she's very interested in raising more questions than giving more answers something i think listeners of the show and definitely you mackenzie know that i really appreciate a filmmaker who trusts their audience enough to not spoon feed them and give them yes all all of the answers and she is so good at doing that but she's also so good at focusing in on very little nuanced things about a story so there's just a lot of things in this that i really liked but it was just also one of those movies where you don't have to work too hard to actually see that there's like a lot more bubbling beneath the surface. Like this is clearly a movie about the American dream about manifest destiny, um, about just all these things that we are raised, especially here in America to believe like we are, you know, 
right and righteous in our, you know, expansion out into the world and carrying out our ideals and our ideas to other countries as well as to places within our own country. Um, yeah, and there's just also a lot about machismo and about a woman's perspective. I think it's really interesting that this is a revisionist Western, but also that it's a revisionist Western told through the perspective of a woman, a amazing portrayal of said woman by Michelle Williams, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, actors, mostly probably because she is a frequent collaborator of Reichardt. Uh, she's in like half of Kelly Reichardt's movies, mm. which she's always phenomenal. And we all know I love my Fablemans. Movies are dreams. Movies uh, are dreams. She's great in that, uh, my opinion. Not Man. held, my, not held by the other host of this podcast. I mostly have a gripe with if she had just run in supporting actress, she would have had an Oscar. <laughs> like, because she's a great yeah. actress, she's an incredible actress. Like, girly, if you had just run in supporting, you would have had an Oscar. Yeah. Literally engraved the second nominations were announced. Whatever, that's my gripe with with that performance. No, but yeah, she's she's definitely far better in Meek's cutoff, and it's uh, I, I said this in my quick review um, that I don't think. It's going to be easy to beat for the best film I watched this year. For those who do not know, Mackenzie, you might have seen this list, but I started a list at the beginning of 2024, just titled 2024, and I am attempting to loosely rank every single movie I watched for the first time this year. Yo. And it's sitting at the top. It'll be interesting to see how this pans out. I, you know, I'm a little flighty and my opinions change a little quickly, but I always settle somewhere. Um, I think this is going to be a hard one to beat. Uh, it's a, a just a brilliant film with so much to say. And the reason I think that is because I can already tell that like I didn't get everything I know I can get out of it upon a first watch. And that's films that always mean a lot to me. And um, I revisit and I, you know, become one of my favorite films or films that I have to keep on going back to because there's still so much more to mine. Um, and so like I'm really trying to think more deeply about the films I'm watching. I'm really trying to write more on Letterboxd. I haven't been really that good at it yet. Um, but this just is one of those films where it, re it requires me to revisit. And so I hope that if I revisit it within the next month or two, which again, I hope to do, um, I'll have something intelligent to say about it. Um, yeah, really, really, really loved it. Um, Two more things I want to talk about just real quick. I watched this amazing miniseries, Mackenzie, by our boy, Todd Haynes. Yes. And I've been texting you about it just a bit. Um, he readapted the book Mildred Pierce from the beginning of the 20th century about a, you know, a single woman uh, divorced trying to make it in Depression era America and also earn the respect of her spoiled daughter. Um. I've watched the film version of this. There's a film version directed by the director of Casablanca, Michael Curtiz. Michael Curtiz, my man. Yeah, he directed an original film of this. And because of the studio censorships at the time, they had to change the book. So it's actually very different. It's a film noir. So it has film noir elements. The original book is not. And this Todd Haynes adaptation for HBO back in the early 2010s is not a film noir. It's a very faithful adaptation. And so while I've seen that original Curtis film that I didn't really love, I uh, loved this miniseries adaptation by Todd Haynes because it's so focused on the relationship between Mildred Pierce and her daughter, Vita, um, which is to all, you know, which has given my research what the original book is about, but it's also just about a single woman trying to make her own way in 1930s America, which 
was not the most forgiving time to a lot of people, least of all, you know, women. Shouldn't say least of all. You know, black women probably had it harder and black men probably even had it harder than white women. But anyway, it's a very interesting story of, you know, will and perseverance and triumph and also just a very interesting um study of mother-daughter relationships and i've kind of been trying to talk it up to you mackenzie because i really 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 think you like it there's so many elements that i know you would love about this thing it's got uh an amazing filmmaker behind it that you and i both love Mm -hmm. todd haynes it's got mother-daughter relationships uh which you love and it's also slightly melodramatic which i know you love (laughs) um it's very good i don't really watch a lot of television uh but you know it it really kept me engaged and i was really impressed with that most television series many series are not i turn off within the first two episodes because i'm like oh my god this could have been two hours um but yeah i thought there was like so much there to mine i've never read the book but i'm thinking about it honestly because i was like there's there was enough there for five and a half hours of television which i was very impressed by and um yeah i like i liked it a lot and then the uh, last thing I watched that I want to mention is a future episode. I finally checked out Jacques Demi's The Young Girls of Rochefort. Yes! That's not even that. That's a different song. I'm just singing French. Uh, they're, 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 uh, their opening song in that. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, no, just uh, Jacques Demi's seminal, you know, um, movie musical with Gene Kelly, uh, Catherine Denu. And uh, the other one, who I don't remember her name, but yeah, this thing was her just si- such a... I believe her real sister. Is who, it really? And she passed away shortly after the film, which is oh. wild to me because she has such a presence on screen. She's so gorgeous. I do love a redhead. Um, she's like, and she has those beautiful freckles. Not to be like hot for this woman who yeah, passed away right. many, many years ago, but she very tragically died after this film. And like, uh, yeah, she's incredible. Francois Dorlea. Dor- Dorlea? Yes, Dolly I Ake? believe. Yeah, I'm. T- I mean, um, hey, I mispronounced I'm, that director I'm earlier. <laughs> we're not terrible we're not with French names, um, but yeah, the elder sister of Catherine Deneuve. Mm-hmm. So she's. That's, I mean, but they're both incredible, and I think their energy as sisters comes out in the in the film. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was just an absolute delight. I watched it with my uh, spouse Frankie. She loved it a lot as well. It's just a beautiful movie. Gene Kelly pops up randomly. Uh, half the time dubbed half the time speaking his terrible french um <laughs> he's so much fun in it uh and just they are so much fun in it i love the story i love the colors i love the cinematography um it's it's you know i don't like him and i don't like his movies but it is very clear why damien chazelle has been trying to remake this movie um because it's just such a fucking delight. Who wouldn't want to remake this movie? Who wouldn't want to live inside something like this while making a movie? If I were a filmmaker, I'd definitely be trying to recreate something like Jacques Demi's films. Uh, this is the fourth of his I've seen, and I like him a lot. And Mackenzie, I'm just tacking on another thing onto my next sale list. I want that box set, that Demi box set. Now I gotta have, I gotta have my husband and wife duo on yes. my shelf. You know, I gotta have my Agnes and my Demi uh, box sets next to each other. I think that'd be really sweet. I love it. Yeah, I cannot wait till we do young girl, young young girls. I young girls. Young girls. <laughs> I can't wait till we do young girls. I've watched Podan. I've watched Umbrellas of Shoreboard. Um, Have but you seen Donkey Skin. I've seen Donkey Skin, baby. Hell yeah, um, I love Donkey Skin. Donkey Skin's great. Uh, but yeah, young girls. Like it was the first one I ever watched, and I can't imagine another Demi film surpassing it. It's just, 
it's just amazing i watched yeah. it because it was on the letterbox show a million years ago i think and i think fell in love baby also i want to say i sang brigitte bardot earlier not even a song from this film so apologies there to all to all <laughs> french people that i just started singing a random french song that i know it's funny uh i went in like reverse order i love all his movies but i saw lola then umbrellas then donkey skin then young girls and i think that's actually how my ranking would go in reverse order young girls donkey skin umbrellas lola mm. which are all great films but uh no yeah what a what a fun week for me uh <laughs> um but yeah mackenzie uh looking forward to covering jacques on the podcast yes uh looking forward to revisiting his lovely wife who we both love <gasps> but alas it is not time for that it is time to go into the world of malcolm x so if you don't mind bringing us in electrifying heroes of the 20th century receives an appropriately sweeping screen biopic rich in both historical insight and propulsive cinematic style courtesy of visionary director spike lee built around an extraordinary performance from denzel washington malcolm x draws on the iconic civil rights leader's autobiography to trace his journey of empowerment from a childhood riven by white supremacist violence to a life of petty crime to his conversion to Islam and rebirth as a fearless fighter for black liberation, whose courage and eloquence inspired oppressed communities the world over. Impeccably crafted by Lee and his closest creative collaborators and buoyed by commanding performances from Angela Bassett, Delroy Lindo, Al Freeman Jr. and others, this is a passionate monument to a man whose life continues to serve as a model of principled resistance. Malcolm X. Spike Somebody keep telling me don't hang around. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Feelings about that synopsis on the Criterion website that play into maybe oh. some later feelings I have about the film. Interesting. Wink, 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 Interesting. Wink, wink, wink. Well, we'll get to that in a second, Mackenzie. But before we do, this is our second go with Mr. Lee with a Spike Lee joint. So, you know, we might have talked about it previously on the show. But for those entering the show for the first time, what a wild episode to start. <laughs> yes um and also maybe people have forgotten but like give us a little background as to your spike lee history your denzel history maybe or any history you might have with malcolm x as a figure yeah i mean honest i mean with spike lee i i still haven't sought out more films outside of do the right thing which we talked about as a perfect masterpiece of american filmmaking um for a reason and I need, I still need to check out more Spike Lee because I just love him as just a personality. Like he's such a fun and, and awesome guy and like such a great director. And 
I love him. Um, I probably have more, you know, history with Denzel, who is one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. Uh, you know, recently I loved him in the tragedy of Macbeth, but he is just such an unsung hero in a lot of things. We talked about him on Mississippi Masala. We talked about a uh, great performance that he has there. Um, just one of our greatest actors, uh, you know, and Angela Bassett. I mean, she did the thing as people like to say, um, one of, one of the greatest actresses who ever lived. Like it's, it's yes. like, okay, let's just do that spike. Um, so I love the both of them a lot. And so I was really excited to watch this film, especially cause I watched Angela Bassett's incredible speech at the governor's awards. If you have not sought that out, please do. Um, she was given an honorary Oscar for her lifetime of, of, amazing performances and activism and it's very funny because mel brooks also got his that night and mel brooks was like i don't know why i'm here and he get, he talked for like two minutes and he left <laughs> angela bassett prepared she had a 10 minute speech and it is incredible the entire time because she's angela bassett so like please check that out and like literally after i saw that i was like man when am i watching more angela bassett movies and the answer is now um this is also the thing i'm about to say is going to sound cuckoo bananas coming from a white kid from the south but Weirdly, have a history with uh, at least the an important place of the civil rights movement growing up in Memphis. And so um, this kind of plays into my history with Malcolm X, I think, as a person. Because when growing up in Memphis, I, I worry about what kids are learning now. But at least when I was young, we learned about the civil rights movement a lot in, in elementary school, especially. Uh, and I grew up close to downtown Memphis, uh, where the Lorraine Motel is and where the Civil Rights Museum is in Memphis, which obviously the Lorraine Motel is where Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed. And um, I remember being as a kid, we went to the uh, to that museum when I was young. And then when I was in college, I revisited it as a young adult. And that museum is... Um, if you're ever in Memphis, you, you just have to go. It is one of the most incredible, I don't even know. It's like an art installation. It is like an immersive museum that you walk through history in. And it is um, one of the most incredible museums I've ever been in in my life. There's this moment where you walk down this long, dark hallway and you're like, cause you're kind of just walking through it and you're walking down this long, dark hallway and you're like, where am I going? And then you turn the corner and there's a blood red wall and it just says Selma on the wall. And then you turn into that room and they've built <laughs> a, they've built the, the bridge that was marched, the MLK Jr. marched along and they've built statues of the crowd. So you actually have to weave through the crowd in order to move through the Selma exhibit. Like it's this incredible immersive piece of history and i bring that up to say i was learned i was taught about mlk jr a ton i think we all are i was taught about him a ton right because he was this peaceful activist leader of the civil rights movement and i don't think i ever was talked taught about malcolm x ever when i was a kid i think i all he was almost always positioned as the bad version or the angry version of mlk which i just don't think i just think that's a um I think that minimizes who he was as a person and minimizes the relationship those men had in real life. And um, it's almost kind of, I think, a detriment that I, I was living in a place where civil rights history was so available to me and it was given to me by my teachers and adults in my life and taught to me. But he was always left out. And I think it's because, as this film depicts, he is a very complicated person. <laughs> he, um, we'll get into it, but it's like, I don't agree with all of his opinions. I don't agree with uh, 
the way he thinks about women. I don't agree with his anti-Semitism. That was not harped on a ton in this film, but definitely out there online if you look it up. Uh, I don't agree with all of his opinions, but I see exactly how he became the man he became. And I do agree with uh, portions of his... Like he's, he's just a complicated person that you have to take both sides of him. And I think that's why people, teachers, are scared to reckon with him in terms of teaching kids about the civil rights movement. So all of that to say is like, I had a knowledge of the civil rights movement, but he was always omitted. And I think that is, um, that's sad. And I think it's why the film feels so important and that it needed to be made. And we'll get into it. I mean, obviously Rodney King is a part of this film (laughs) is a part of Mm -hmm. why I think this film was needed in exactly the year it came out. Um, but we'll get into it. So like, I don't know, that's kind of my history with just like, the actors who I love, Spike who I love, and then just kind of generally Malcolm X is I learned a ton. I did not know that the Nation of Islam killed him. I just assumed it was racist. The, the FBI. I assumed it was the FBI. I assumed it yeah. was racist white guys. I, I did not know. I Like that was what blew my mind. I don't know. I, I learned a yeah. lot is all I'm saying uh, because I unfortunately did not know a lot about Malcolm X. But Ian, I'm rambling. Take it away. You know, it's funny that you grew up in the place where MLK uh was assassinated i grew up in the place where mlk was born oh wow i'm i'm originally from atlanta georgia and uh you learned everything about mlk you learned actually a lot more than probably most people you would learn the warts and all you know it was a common thing growing up that like mlk wasn't perfect you know he was you know misogynist you know he slept around a little bit possibly that's never been confirmed or denied i'm not slandering the (laughs) civil rights leader mlk but there was always just like these things like you know to combat like this holy figure of him as like you know still a human being but even then he was definitely like somewhat of a deity yeah to anybody especially in public schools growing up like he was the shining example of like the good black person like and, and malcolm x was the know, opposite it's interesting. yeah and it's like yeah, exactly that's just, and, yeah yeah and so like i learned about malcolm x but it was like a tiny fraction and i actually just want to briefly read a little bit of a letterbox review from somebody you turned me on to robert daniels of rogerdebert.com this brilliant snippet of his review of malcolm x a five-star review He uh, says, and I quote, in 1992, you would have been hard pressed to find a textbook that included more than a sentence about the Nation of Islam's leader. He'd been erased, relegated to the dangerous poisoned pill antithesis of Martin Luther King Jr. And that's exactly how I grew up knowing Malcolm X Mm -hmm. as like the shadow image of MLK. Um, Because like if there's two things that you learned about growing up in Georgia public school systems, it was the Civil War. Yes. And the wrong that it had done. I don't know if they still teach how terrible the Civil War was in the in the South siding, the South side at least, or their position during it. We learned about how bad it was and the sins of that, but we also learned about the sins committed by the state during the civil rights movement in the South. And all this positioned as, you know, bad things. Now you would hear stupid little arguments about states' rights and small government and all this shit. That's total dog whistles. But all that to say it's like I learned about Malcolm X to a degree, but just like you, I was surprised to learn that he was killed by the Nation of Islam. I had always assumed it was the FBI. Yeah. I always assumed that he went in the same way as Fred Hampton, um, you know, murdered by the FBI. Uh, and so, yeah, no, like this was incredibly educational. It's a towering achievement of film, you know, 
just to restate, you know, very briefly, I've seen Black Klansman, I've seen Do the Right Thing for the show. Um, and then I'm just kind of familiar with Spike as a general personality. His Oscars uh, interview post Green Book win is iconic. It's not my cup of tea. I show that to, yeah, <laughs> I show that to everybody. Are you British? Are you British? It's not my cup of tea. Cup of tea. <laughs> it's just, he just makes himself laugh. I love him. Yeah. And him. Love his I told laugh. it last time, him revealing the Palm d'Or winner when he was the jury president yes. at, at Cannes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I love him. He's great. Um, and then Denzel. Denzel is somebody who, I like what you said, he's one of our unsung heroes. Oh, I yes. always forget how fucking good he is. <laughs> yeah. The tragedy of Macbeth, while I'm not the most studied in Shakespeare, uh, that recent Joel Cohen adaptation is one of the most visually and performance-wise interesting film adaptations, specifically film adaptations mm-hmm. of Shakespeare I've seen. I've seen... Lawrence Olivier, I've seen Brana. They're all very staid and very um, traditional. They're great. They're phenomenal. They look beautiful. They're really well acted. But there was something really, really unique, quiet, even mm-hmm. about the Joe Cohen adaptation, specifically the Denzel Pormans. He's an amazing actor, whether he's whispering or shouting with his gravitas, um, which he does a lot of both in this film, which I'm excited to talk about. And then, yeah, no, I think like, there's just so many great performances from Delroy Lindo to Angela Bassett yeah. to even Spike Lee himself. I think he's so good in this movie. Um, and I think he's often noted for not being that good as an actor. <laughs> um, I, I liked him a lot. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's the history with the figure himself and the filmmakers. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to dig into it a bit. Well, only because I, I mentioned it. I feel like it has to be said because it, I think it just peppers the energy behind the filmmaking um for people who don't know which if you're listening to this podcast i don't know why you wouldn't you're presumably an adult of a certain age um but in march 1991 uh rodney king was brutally assaulted by police and it started many riots in los angeles that is an entirely other episode i to get into in terms of what happened that during that incident um but needless to say, it sparked a lot of conversation. And I think about the fact that Do the Right Thing had come out just two years before that. And mm-hmm. he did Jungle Fever in between uh, this and Do the Right Thing, which the thematic elements based on what I've read of Jungle Fever are absolutely present in Malcolm X uh, in terms of like fetishization of race and, and interracial relationships. Um, that's what Jungle Fever is about. And so like bring, it's kind of almost like do the right thing and Jungle Fever had a baby and it became Malcolm X. Um, but I think that the, what happened to Rodney King and the aftermath of Rodney King absolutely, I think is just so relevant to the film, to the fact that the footage of Rodney King is in the opening sequence. And I just want to bring that up because like Spike is giving it to you. Spike is that opening monologue with Rodney King and the burning American flag. If you just watched that, that's the whole movie. You know what I mean? Like that is the film. And, um, you know, I mean, it's incredibly subversive, uh, for a mainstream Warner brothers produced film. It's subversive. It's bold. It's brave. He is shoving it in your face and saying, if you looked away, you can't look away now. Um, Mm -hmm. and 
I got, I mean, I got full body chills. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was like, wow, Spike is cooking. You texted me cooking. and said, Spike is cooking. <laughs> he is cooking. Yeah, which um, I love. It was incredible. I mean, it gave me chills. And again, it feels like the entire film in the first three minutes, really. It's like, that is the movie. He's giving you the themes. He's giving you how he feels. Yeah. And the rest of the film kind of takes it from there. And like, I don't know. I don't even know what I, what I'm saying here, but I'm just saying like, uh, the, like, I know we can espouse it all the fucking time. But I think I was watching that footage and I knew it's like I knew in my gut it was Rodney King. I didn't I had I had to like look it up to confirm oh, yeah. it. But it's like I knew the film came out in 92. I knew this had to be Rodney King. And I think about the fact that you could put footage of George Floyd there. You could put footage of Breonna Taylor there. You could put footage of any of these. Sorry, people who have died in the last hundreds of people who have died from the hands of police in the last couple of years alone. And it's the same fucking movie and it just is so goddamn upsetting that spike lee i could feel his rage throughout this film i think lee as a director identifies with the rage of malcolm x i I think that's maybe why he cares about this subject and cares about telling this man's story because i'm sure at that time of course he was i think he you feel and do the right thing and you feel it here you feel the rage i think spike is feeling as a filmmaker at the way black people are being treated in america uh, and it fucks me up that it's the same shit, different story still today. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not saying anything unique or anything that people aren't already feeling when they watch this film, but like, fuck, I don't know. It just fucking sucks. Yeah. It just fucking sucks. And we said this during do the right thing. And we're saying it again here. It just fucking sucks that like, I wish, I wish Spike Lee's films didn't feel relevant. I wish we could look at Spike Lee's, Spike Lee's films as, uh, as memories, as things of days gone by, but we can't, and it just fucking sucks. And I think Spike knows that too. And I, like, it, it just sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are plenty of filmmakers that could have done uh, very well by this material and very well by this film. But I completely agree with you that uh, you can feel a identification that Spike has with Malcolm X and that the rage is really, really felt and I also, I really get what you're trying to say. I really think that what you're saying in a way, Mackenzie, is that like subtlety is really nice and it's really artful sometimes in filmmaking, but this movie stating its thesis up front that like you, you're absolutely right. Those first eight minutes of this movie, that's the movie. That is, that is the intent. That is the statement of intention in this movie that American flag burns Malcolm X's speech plays. And you intercut that with the Rodney King beating of not just by the police, but let's broaden that by the state, the state subjugation of black people. Um, and this movie is, I feel like this, it's interesting to maybe we get to this, but I feel like this movie is a little bit focused as Malcolm was focused on the subjugation and the eradication of black men, which is, is very specifically its own issue. Women are, touched on in strange ways but i think that's because of the material that they're working yeah with. for sure um for sure and i know that's not something we need to spend a lot of time on but it is interesting and maybe worth mentioning um but yeah no i think everything from the name of spike's production company to the material of his films to his public candor demonstrates that this is a guy who has feelings is passionate about his beliefs and makes his art with a with intention with a message with a purpose um it's interesting because i think a lot of his films touch on the black experience in a multitude of ways now that he's not made other types of films inside man the 25th hour these are films that are not explicitly about the black experience but 
I think what I'm really trying to get at is like he he gets he seems he seems to get to everything. He seems to have gotten to everything. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about Jungle Fever, which is almost explicitly about um, you know, racial fetishization by both you know uh, racial groups, white or black, and like mixed race couples. And there's a little bit of that in this film. Um, but even within Malcolm X, what I think is incredible is how he gets to so much. And like I said at the top of the episode, essentially makes three different movies and puts them into yeah. one. I don't know if you read it all about the journey of this film, but yes. the guy who had the rights to the Malcolm X uh, autobiography, he made a documentary with Malcolm X's involvement a little bit before he died. And it was a 20-year journey to get to this movie. And I don't think, as I was getting to, I don't think there's a better time better place perfect person to have made this movie unfortunately in a lot of ways but spike just fucking knocks it out of the ballpark he's the only person that i think could have and should have made this movie at this time in which he did i mean i don't know if you saw the original director did you see that norman jewison was actually originally attached to direct the late great norman jewison who actually just passed away oh my gosh director of moonstruck very different movie uh, well, he directed In the Heat of the Night, another film about racial dynamics and racism that won Best Picture. And so I think that that was what was kind of fueling that choice, I think, for a director was Norman Jewison, and um, who cannot wait till we do Moonstruck. I love his films so deeply. And Moonstruck is one of my favorite films ever made. And um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the Wikipedia about Spike being one of the loudest voices saying a white man should not be directing this film. And I I think that I'm glad he did that um but norman jewison eventually dropped out saying he didn't think he could quote unquote reconcile the private and public life of malcolm x and it's very funny that many people thought that was an excuse spike lee said i don't think that's an excuse i think he's telling the truth i think he knows he couldn't have done it and if he thinks he could have done it he would have fought me on it and i thought that's an interesting quote i love that spike does not give a fuck he's like i will say whatever um and obviously spike lee was given the film afterward and it became the film we know today and there was still a lot of drama to do it definitely read the wikipedia because even people were unhappy about spike directing it it seems like people were just unhappy generally with this film being made um which is probably why it was ignored at the oscars which we can get to um may december shown us anything the oscars hate when a mirror is being shown to them that they don't like what they see inside of it um but and Malcolm X, I think being snubbed is an example of that. But um, I would say, let me just pivot. Let me just say, mm-hmm. I do think one of my issues with the film, which I'm clenching my body even saying something like that about mm-hmm. a film like Malcolm X, mm-hmm. is that because I think Spike identifies with Malcolm so much, it feels like such a personal film. Even though it's about Malcolm X, it feels so personal to Spike as a, as a person to me. Yeah. I think because he identifies with him so much, the film for me doesn't interrogate Malcolm X as much as I would like it to. Yeah. Like he's giving Raging Bull, right? He's giving a performance of a complicated person. And it is there for you. Like the way he speaks to his wife is very bad. The way he sometimes speaks about other people is very bad. And you see Malcolm X discover closer to the end of his life that maybe exclusionary politics was not the healthiest way to create a an America that could function. You know what I mean? Like I think we see him sort of shift to closer to MLK's politics, presumably, by the end of his life. Uh, And it's sad that maybe we didn't get to see that man explore that side of himself further. Um, And I also want to say, like, I see why he got to where he got. White people suck. I say as a white person. I know I sound like like the girl who comes up to him and is like, I'm one of the good ones. But like, yeah, like it's like 
whiteness has caused all of the problems in this country. Yeah. Uh, I, and so like, I understand like how he got, like how, how black Muslims and Malcolm got to the point in which they got in terms of their politics. Um, but I do wish that Lee as a director interrogated a, a bit more instead of completely martyring him. If that makes sense. Like I would have loved to see the film um, I don't know, just examine the layers of him because I think it makes him look like too good of a person, like too good of a hero. And I felt that about that synopsis. That synopsis also kind of um, makes him seem like he was just this perfect person when I don't think he was. And again, I think that's there, but I wish I felt like Lee was digging in his his claws a little deeper. Does that make sense? Because then you get to that ending. It's a phenomenal ending. It was a bit cloying for me. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that. I need everyone to know I do not like saying that. But it, the ending, I don't know. It, 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 to me, that was the, the cherry on top of how I think Spike feels about Malcolm X. And I can see absolutely, in light of Rodney King, someone heavily identifying with his politics and the way he viewed the world. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just wish Lee as a director... <sighs> put a magnifying glass up to, to Lee or to, to X a bit more. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think that this I hate is also, saying that. I'm so no, sorry, everyone. If I'm like the worst person in the world, but nobody's, yeah. uh, you know, nobody on this podcast is calling Malcolm X, you know, a terrorist or, you know, uh, no, not at know, all. A fucking evil person. We're saying he's a complicated person, which he was. And I think this film does recognize that, but I do agree with you. I think in many ways there is an abundance of reverence for him by Lee, but also by Denzel, Denzel is treating yes. his character with a lot of reverence and it comes across in the performance and there doesn't really feel like there's a lot um, to take away from, you know, any kind of looking down upon. But I I think that's a good thing in a way because I don't think Denzel should be judging Malcolm in any way because that because no, you don't want no, no. you don't want the other side of that to come across in the performance and it doesn't. You don't want the performance to come across as judging Malcolm. And I feel like in this way, Denzel so fully bodies malcolm x because he believes he's doing the right thing he truly mm-hmm. believes in the mission the goals the aims of the mission but i think what they do really well is interrogate a little bit the nation of islam i think that's where yes. most of the interrogation falls is on elijah muhammad which by all accounts was a very flawed complex and somewhat <laughs> yes. um somewhat uh bad bad character in a couple ways obviously he the sleeping with underage women cannot be ignored. Like, you know, like that's mm-hmm. not something that is access, uh, acceptable um, regardless of your, I think your aims for, uh, you know, an entire group of people being uh, admirable, you know, having these admirable aims, uh, which, you know, the, those scenes specifically where I think, uh, you know, the most interrogation of Malcolm happens is when he's reckoning with that, when he's reckoning with the um, mistakes and the crimes of Elijah Muhammad, like within his own morals and his own internal ethics. But what you're saying, Mackenzie reminds me specifically of the moment where he tells, where he's told by somebody else and then parrots this back to uh, Betty that like, you know, I, 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 I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact line, but like, you know, a couple mistakes does not ruin a great man. Yes. And I think like I think what you I think what you're saying is insure, is totally true, but I almost think that's like Spike acknowledging that with the inclusion of that line a couple times where it's like 
that I feel like that spikes ethos when it comes to Malcolm X. Like, sure, not a perfect guy, but like doesn't ruin the fact that like he was a great man and did so many great things. Um, if that's if that's like right or wrong, I'm not the one to make that determination. But I I I see that as almost being like spikes, like feelings about Malcolm X. Does that make sense? No, I, it does, and I don't mean to be like. And so Malcolm X was a bad person. No, I don't no, no, think no. Of so. course I think not. ultimately he was no, an interesting and, and and hopefully net good person. And yeah. I think that again, I think that his, I do think his rage is necessary. I do think yeah. his rage, especially to juxtapose other civil rights leaders of his time, was necessary. Like I feel this way about queer cinema too. When I watch stuff from the new queer cinema, I feel that rage in those films. I'm like, we need that again. I think we need to be angrier at our country we need to be angrier at our politicians uh if anything i want to see queer films and black films and and all types of films be fucking angry again because i think especially we are what 30 years after this film we need to stay angry you know what i mean with everything happening in the world right now so like i totally understand like identifying with that rage because i think it is still needed and if anything we need it again we need Mm -hmm. it back in cinema again spike return to us come home baby bring me another angry film because it's needed. I feel angry right now. I feel so angry about everything in the world. And I wish I had a film that felt as angry as I. Um, I guess I just, I'm thinking, I'm just looking at my notes. I'm thinking about the Russian roulette scene and how mm. horrifying that scene is. Yeah. And also to say Denzel as an actor should always be on the side of his character and he kills it and he kills the arc too of Malcolm. Like mm-hmm. he so subtly plays the changes within this man. But like I think of the Russian roulette scene. I think of the kiss my foot scene. I think of these scenes that like that's where I was like, oh this is raging bull to me like vibes because it's like it's I don't disagree with this man, but I'm seeing the like I don't know, like the the under the veneer i'm seeing the the things that make me complicate my vision of him more and i feel like once he's out of prison and we're more in the latter half of the film he just becomes too much of a like a victim of elijah muhammad to me mm-hmm. i don't know like i guess i just wanted to ke- i wanted to keep that energy from the first half of the film where he feels so much more complicated yeah. and interesting like i just think it's more interesting and then also like i think i wrote by the end i was like i would have loved to also know more about his siblings like what happened to his siblings uh, what about his mom I, I, I know what happened to her but like how did he feel about his mother like did he ever see her again like what about his relationship with betty like there were, it's such it's wild because it's such a sweeping epic where i've like learned so much and i've seen a whole life it took me like four and a half hours because i had to start and stop a bit to watch this movie um it's long as fuck it engaged me the whole time mm-hmm. it's one of those movies where like i felt the length but not in a negative way like i felt the length but it's just because it but it, it still kept me engaged for the whole runtime yeah but I still felt like there was things I missed. I'm like, okay, I, I wish I, I don't know. I wish I understood him a bit deeper even. And I wish I understood his relationships more. If anything, sh- everybody take my cinephile card away. I bet this would have made an interest. Like could Spike, this was not the day of many series, but like could Spike have made a really compelling like six episode, hour and a half episode miniseries, like 10 hours of, of Malcolm X. I would have taken that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I feel yeah, like yeah. we almost needed more to encapsulate all the layers of this man. So yeah, I don't mean to dog the the filmmaking because I get, I th- or the performances or anything, but once we got to that end, it's, it's moving, but it felt too reverent, if that makes sense. But I don't know. But then I think also what you said in 1992, there was not even he wasn't being talked about people were terrified to talk about malcolm x so i think maybe we needed a voice like this to balance out the voices trying to erase him 
So I'm already coming back on my own thoughts of like, <laughs> context is so important. When films came out are important to how we view them historically. And I do think maybe you're right based on that Robert Daniels. I, I agree with that. Maybe, maybe an overly reverent voice was needed. Yeah. And, you know, to, to defer to Robert Daniel as a black man, you know, he says that this is a, you know, warts and all cinematic adaptation of that autobiography, you know, and I'm, and I'm inclined to believe the perspective of a, of a black man as well, but not to say like, I definitely agree with you that it feels very saintly in that second half or that second two or that, you know, two thirds end of the film is very, like, it becomes yeah. very saintly and very, it's very reverent of him, but it kind of makes me think about what I've mentioned a couple times is how like this feels like three distinct movies to me. And while I think a 10 hour mini series of this would be bonkers and spike would knock it out of the part. I'm very preferential to the four hour Epic that we have here. Um, but the reason I say both those things is because I agree with you, but the end result is that like, that's not the right thing. And what I mean is that like, I wanted so much more of the mom. I wanted so much more Angela Bassett because, you know, she's just this powerhouse in the film and she brings so much, she brings so much of the depth to Malcolm X. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. the wife of this great man raising his children, also a very intelligent and, um, active woman in the nation of Islam herself and like an activist in her own right. In those ways, I wanted more, but it always, it is kind of one of those things where I think about it when it comes to like possibly 10 hours of this, possibly more with all these things. Is it too much of a good thing? Uh, and I really, really, really feel that way when it comes to like the end of his life and the end of this film, like that last fifth, like that last 25 to 30 minutes where he starts to rapidly evolve. That would be so interesting to dig into. Like I can imagine five episodes of a miniseries being like the beginning the middle and then five more episodes just being the end because there's so much I bet to unpack there. And there's so much to dramatize there, but also in this way, we feel so much more loss when it's only this like 30 minutes of his life where he's starting to really get away from the nation of Islam, really push into a new direction. And you feel the loss of what could have been yeah. so much because, because of the time you don't get because of the limit to that within the film itself, you feel like, oh, this was only one year out of his life and it's and it was over and it was gone and it's so much more tragic. And not to diminish Spike's own style in filmmaking, but that Scorsesean ending, which is this burst of violence. I also it thought Scorsese, me, yes. Yeah, so it reminded me so much of uh, Casino and Goodfellas because those mm -hmm. are both movies with these sudden outbursts of violence, but even the way that the violence is um, designed, I don't know if that's the right word, but like the way that staged. The, yeah. Yeah. The way that, yeah. Stage the way that the blood splatters and the way that the body moves. Um, terrifying and incredibly impactful. Um, and probably my single, favorite supporting performance in the film it's a total of three minutes of screen time is a uh, duan carlo esposito oh, yes as uh the one of the men who carries it out he's so nervy and there's just so much going on while he's staring down malcolm x right before the execution um anyway Yo. anyway i'm kind of rambling now but like no yeah him picking up the fucking doll for Malcolm X's daughter, and you know that he's one of the killers. Like you, you already kind of know. Yeah. And him doing that with X's 
daughter, knowing he's going to kill this man in front of that child and presumably change. I haven't really looked at the children, presumably change the trajectory of their fucking lives. Uh, Actually, I spent the most time researching them after this. I read a lot about the kids. Oh my gosh. No, yeah, there's a... I would be traumatized forever if I saw that. Uh, And yeah, yeah, like the the vile, the poison in that man, in that performance, it's so brilliant. And he's, I mean, he's also an incredible actor and like he's always incredible in anything he shows up in at any amount of time he's in. Freaking love Giancarlo. He's such a captivating presence. So it was, that's an expert decision, I think, on Spike's part to call his old buddy Giancarlo back for that small, small part, but very significant part. Brilliant. And like, yeah, that whole sequence is some of the most chilling filmmaking I've ever seen in my fucking life. I was plugged in. I was watching on my laptop because Rachel was using the television and I had the laptop really close and I was wearing headphones. So I was trying to immerse myself in the film <laughs> and Rachel looks over and I just have my hands on the side of my head and my jaw is dropped. Yeah. There are tears welling in my eyes and I am just like, what the fuck am yeah, I watching I was right now? I was so rattled because you get those shotgun sh- hot shots and then that Oh my god, that overhead shot of them just shooting him with pistols over and over and over and over and over again, just to make sure it's done right. And then like the I don't even know, just the mob that goes out, and then like that the character that he played, John Carlos Esposito plays. Um, that happened. I was reading about that. That did happen. Like a guy got shot in the leg, and he got like basically got pummeled by the mob. And like watching the way that's depicted, like it is, it, it is like you feel it in your whole body. You were just like head to toe. You are like feeling that scene and it's just like i can't even believe it like how does spike lee do something like that and it is i also got those like scorsese kind of energy vibes from it um in terms of the way he also shoots mob violence and not that this is mob violence but you know what i mean i think they're some of the most they're two of the most interesting directors to compare side by side obviously they're friends in real life Mm -hmm. and obviously marty has been such a heavy influence on him but the reason I think they're so interesting is because of their differing cultural backgrounds, but also they come from two distinct, very distinct cultures that have been the subject of massive amounts of prejudice in the United States. Obviously, Italian-Americans have since be, become um, kind of engulfed by whiteness and accepted yes. into whiteness, but there was a time at which they were the most persecuted of like uh, non-black and brown ethnicities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And... That, that I think that plays out really interesting in their filmography, but also they're two of the most prolific and important filmmakers to come from New York City. Yes. Um, which I think is has a huge impact on their oeuvre, their oeuvre, and just their style in general. Um, so yeah, I saw a lot of Marty in this movie, just like like you were mentioning, the, the, the Raging Bull thing. And to be very clear, not to at all take away from Spike's filmmaking, he's a very distinctive voice that is like we've been saying, you can feel the rage and the anger and also just his stylistic flourishes are so interesting. His whip pans, his use of editing, the way that flashbacks are employed in this is mesmerizing. Oh uh, yeah. I see you face palming you going like, yeah, there's a mo- I mean the, I got, I have a like I'm looking at my list. And I'm like, there's like a couple moments I have to call out. And one of them is, and this also made me feel emotional. Maybe tear up and Rachel, I had to like pause and try to explain this to Rachel, but Early in the film, the way they juxtapose like Malcolm's life with his father, um, when the house when the house got firebombed, and his father was saving him and his siblings, to then bring back almost the exact same series of shots when Malcolm is saving his children, and then intercutting that with his father, like you almost can't tell which scene we're in 
but you can, you can tell that it's shifting back and forth between Malcolm and his own father. That gutted me. That was some of the best editing of the film. That was, I mean, just a mind blowing comparison because obviously that had to have been true. And it's just like, I don't know. You get mind blown thinking of the, co- the, the horrific coincidence of both of this men, him and hand, his father having had their homes firebombed before their murders. Uh, it's just like, it's one of those moments that like, it's so bookended perfectly that you think it has to be fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, but you can't write shit like that. Like it was just like clearly spike found these connective tissues in Malcolm's life and brought them together in that moment with editing. And it's like, Oh my God, some of the best editing in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, I'll briefly mention my one gripe before we kind of start to wind down because it's the only gripe I had. It's a biggish one. Mm. Um, while educational, while I didn't know anything about Malcolm X's uh, early life, while I never knew that he was kind of a gangster or a... Uh, yeah, that was cool. I had no idea that he was like, you know, a petty criminal and uh, that, you know, he came to Islam in prison. But, you know, by and large, unfortunately, that first movie that first third didn't really work for me all that well mm. mostly because of kind of what you're talking about i felt like it was a little and again I, I i almost feel like this is diminutive of spike but i swear i'm not trying to dog him at all it almost just felt a little derivative of scorsese in a little bit of way but i think that might be my own issue i think that might be just me associating scorsese too closely with anything mob related mm. and also just my personal preference that i don't really like mob stuff it doesn't doesn't engage me all that much. So I was a little worried going into this movie, but by the moment uh, we're being sentenced in the courtroom, I was like, okay, I'm fully on board. I'm engaged. I'm really interested in where this is going. And that was really important context for where we're going, I guess. Um, So all that to say, not even really a negative or a gripe, just like a personal thing that I was having trouble meshing with. The way that I'm going to spin that and turn that around into like somewhat of a positive is like, it kind of makes me interested to come back to it already. Mm. Um, I'm really interested to rewatch this film, uh, not in the least because of like what you were saying, there's so much in it and it's so dense. And especially that first third is so fast paced and kind of like edited within an inch of its life that like, I'm sure there's a million things I missed. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's like trying to think of, there's like so much to say, but we only have so much time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think that works for me better because I'm also I also like that type of style more than you do. I think so. It didn't bother me too much. Um, but you're right. It is like we have this kind of mob movie, and then we move into this prison movie, and like Which is so good. It's I texted so you as soon as it started. Yeah. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I, there's so many quotes even from that sequence that I wrote down. Uh, like the whole scene in the showers is incredible. Him mm-hmm. being like, you know, you he, the white man sees you and he laughs because he knows you're not white. And like, I don't know, like this, this, this is a book that was written by white men. And like, you can translate that to the Bible as well, right? Like, I don't know, like this idea of of the uh, those who write the books or whose whose stories are told. You know what I mean? The dictionary concept. Yes. Holy yes. shit! Like that was incredible. I never knew. I mean, I always knew his name was Malcolm X. Never knew that idea of the X coming from the idea of your last name being the names of the people who own your ancestors. And so eradicating that name as to separate yourself from slave owners. Like I think that's a brilliant. And like, I never knew that's why he was named Malcolm X. Like all of these concepts are coming out in the prison scene. 
in a way that like I was like wow it's so good and then yeah I catapulted and like I think it's it's it is a sharp turn he takes into religion it is a sharp turn but I think Denzel plays it well I think it's like it is a abrupt and sharp turn but I think that like Spike's care with it as a director and Denzel's playing of it as an actor I think they make it make more sense than than a lesser actor director combo would you know what I mean like they may make that turn really really land in a way that I think is would have been more difficult than I think people realize but these people are talented enough to pull it off yeah no I agree I think that is something really complicated and hard to sell and they sell it really well and to that to that point I also will say that I think that this is the most interesting and um deep portrayals of islam i've ever seen in a um american studio made movie yeah you and i have to ask how did we get this mind you're not an american you're an african who happens to be an american you have to understand the difference we didn't come over on the the nita the pinta and the and the the whatchamacallit we didn't land on plymouth rock plymouth rock landed on us landed right on top of us Is that you, brother? Praise be to Allah. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about, the slave mentality, the slave mind. This brother and I, we had the slave mind. We used to rob together. We used to sleep with white women. We even went to prison together. Now, don't be surprised when I say we went to prison, because some of y'all are still in prison right now. Prisons of your mind. Stand up, brother. Come on. <laughs> the brother's a little shy. <laughs> Come on, brother, give me a hug. Yeah. That's all right, brother. That's all right. Look, he still got his um, hair fried. Well, That's Mackenzie, all right, though. The, That's the slave it's mind. It's almost oh, running out, unfortunately. Unfortunately, this is not a four-hour show. Damn it. But with that, I invite you to give us your final thoughts and star rating for Malcolm X and any like last-minute notes or just like things that <laughs> we didn't get to talk about. I know. I'm sitting here being like, okay, how can I shove all this random little... Because I, I do this now on, on ADP as well. Like, as we talk about my notes, I delete them. So then by the end, I see what's left. And I'm like, okay. Um, I do want to shout out Delroy Lindo. I, I mean, him and Angela Bassett are the a highlight supporting performances for me. Um, but I didn't think his character would come back. And then that in that scene with him uh, in the apartment is incredible. And Delroy Lindo is just like, I mean, God... <laughs> amazing actor like the second he shows up on screen you're just entranced by his energy and his screen presence i mean just one of the greatest to ever do it he's incredible in this film him and denzel play off each other beautifully uh oh, and i have two more things i want to say damn uh i do want to highlight another uh scene that rocked me to my core was the walk to the hospital from the police station after they intervene with the man who was attacked and there's that great sequence of them being like you guys don't do anything you just talk you don't do anything and then malcolm being like i will make action happen and i just loved that that whole scene i loved denzel at the at the police station and then the walk to the hospital where the crowd like forms as they walk and that score is happening that amazing scoring piece with that kind of drummy you know kind of march with the trumpets going like those i don't even know like i just was uh riveted by that whole sequence of the walk to the to the hospital uh, with them with the group and the and the scoring there i just blew my mind um and the last thing i kind of wrote was um 
there was some like abstract filmmaking near the beginning. There was like some abstract yeah. shots, like that weird shot of Denzel falling on the ground and the camera's like in the grass almost. Like there was some weird, uh, weird shots that I think a bookend did that. I mean, the iconic shot of Malcolm X, the floating down the street uh, shot is like the trademark that Spike has done a couple other times. And like, that is the shot of Malcolm X. I almost wish there was more. I wish there was more kind of abstract filmmaking like that. Like I wish he was a little bit more not abstract, maybe surreal. I wish there was a bit more surrealism, especially when like he's, you kind of get that too, with that kind of <laughs> forced ghost scene of Elijah Muhammad in the prison. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of wish there was a bit more surrealism, but I love when it showed up. So just like shout out to Spike for that, those choices. And like, I don't know. Maybe because there's not a lot of it, when the floating shot shows up, it's like strikes you. I, oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty it's, transcendent. It's one of the best shots in the movie for a reason. Um, and very last thing, Humphrey Bogart reference. There's Humphrey Bogart. Reference. Yes, 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 yes. Denzel's yeah, doing his best yeah. bo- bogey. Whenever bogey yeah. is is in the room, I have to shout him out. Um, yes. <laughs> whew, okay, I know we got to keep moving. So as for rating, I do not find this a film that is easy to rate subjectively. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a cop out. That's a very like white person thing to say, but like it's it's one of those films where like it feels wrong to rate it less than five. I have my little nitpicky issues with it, so I don't know if it's like a five bang favorite movie of all time that I'll be returning to a lot. Like I would sooner return to a different Spike Lee film, I think, before I return to this one. Which I know you feel differently. I don't know. Like I feel like I've seen it. I don't know if I need to see it again. Or and and if I do, it'll be like in ten years. Like I don't know if it's like I'd rather watch Do the Right Thing again or watch something else by him again. And because of that, if you'll let me cop out, like I did all those all those you months ago. Always welcome. Fat heart, big old heart. It's an all incredible right. film. It's one of the most perfect films ever made. Probably just like on a on a technical standpoint, it is an American epic of epic proportions that i think every person living in this country and even outside of it should see it's one of those films that like do the right thing it just feels like a it is in the canon of american cinema it is in the blood of american cinema and it needs to be seen because it is an incredible piece of art and history at the same time and sometimes those don't always meet as perfectly as this does but i don't know what to rate it i really don't it's one of those it's like i i just don't know how i don't know what to say so i loved it i will give it a heart i had my nitpicks might not watch it for a while, but I'm so deeply glad I watched it. I'm I'm glad too. I'm happy. I'm happy we got to it, and I've been wanting to get to it for ages. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I quickly want to touch on the impressionistic flourishes as well because I thought they were some of the most interesting and captivating aspects of the film. That that shot, that dolly shot with Denzel, not like very clearly on the dolly moving with the camera is, yeah, uh, incredible. And I think just so baked into the language of cinema now, like it's a very iconic spike move mm-hmm. and flourish that I think other people are, you know, kind of cribbing on sometimes nowadays, but <laughs> yes. I, I love it. It's so good. And you brought up the scene uh, in the park where they're kind of playing um, cops and uh cops and robbers or something and he does the humphrey bogart but that started something that i really loved was the reoccurrence of the gunshots yes the entire the gunshot basically these gunshots um hover over malcolm x throughout the entire film almost just as like a countdown or a or a um a looming drumming of his impending death like his days are numbered it's said by a member of the nation of islam over the phone to his wife at one point but like your days are numbered you whatever you something slur um because unfortunately yeah 
like from the moment he was born his days were sadly numbered like he died prematurely he was gone too soon for all his faults you know a very great important man um and you know for all the kind of nitpicks i have about this i think it's a pretty perfect film um <laughs> Uh, once I get to three with a filmmaker, I start a ranked list on Letterboxd. And right now, uh, Malcolm X is sitting atop that ranked list for Spike Lee. <gasps> Whoa. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> if there's one thing I figured out about myself in the past three to four months, Mackenzie, is that I fucking love an epic. Lawrence of Arabia, just to name one. But like every time I watch a quote unquote epic, like a three plus hour movie with grand scope and scale, I fall madly in love with it. So Malcolm X is one of those giving it a full five bang and a heart um whoa, loved it whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah genuinely cannot wait to revisit it um and i know i just gave my rating and that should be the last thing i say but the last thing i want to mention is the cinematography i'm a sucker for neon coated cinematography and there are just some shots specifically that one that's the letterbox header for this film yeah where spike's giving his speech and that neon is glowing behind him Ooh chef's kiss that is a beautiful shot and there's so many of those especially in the first act of this movie with that bar that he's going in and out of and like the red lighting and just yeah it's the this thing is caked in neon and i love it and uh yeah it's just so incredibly well shot also obviously incredibly well directed spike you king loved it um yeah so that's malcolm x from us y'all <laughs> wow we did it i can unclench my ass now <laughs> that we we talked about malcolm x and uh i had a great time talking about it and ian do we have any letters or voicemails this week not today Mackenzie. but if people want to write in about anything that we've covered in the past maybe our last double feature maybe they want to talk to us about malcolm x and how much they also loved it they can send us those voicemails 90 seconds or under or emails and we'll read and or play them out on the show to the criterion connection at gmail.com and they can also Write us or send us voicemails about whatever it is we are covering in connection to Malcolm X, which Mackenzie, you will now unveil. Yes. I mean, Malcolm X is a peerless film. <laughs> it was very hard to think of something, not very hard, but like, it's hard to be like, what can pair with this? Because it kind of stands on its own. So y'all, I went with an easy one. I'm sorry. We can all yell at Mackenzo, but I went with a pretty easy, obvious connection. There is one other film in the collection that I am aware of that features a performance of someone uh, taking on the role of Malcolm X. This was a film that came out in 2020 and uh, directed by an actress who I love, like genuinely yes. one of my favorite actresses ever, um, the great Regina King. I think her film, One Night in Miami from 2020, probably got buried a bit right? 2020 was a hard year for films to come out. A lot of films got thrown away and buried. Uh, and I didn't realize until recently that the Criterion Collection put this film in the collection. Um, so what a great way to highlight a film that maybe was just underseen and undervalued in 2020 to see how we feel about it. Letterboxd describes this as four legends, one legendary night. In the aftermath of Cassius Clay's defeat of Sonny Linton, of Sonny Liston in 1964, the boxer meets with Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown to change the course of history in the segregated South. Um, starring just truly incredible actors, I've heard the performances are the highlight of this film. It's based off the play of the same name, again, directed by Regina King. Yeah, I'm interested to see this. I honestly, like, again, it's, I don't want to make any assumptions about it. 
Uh, you know, I don't think people consider it as highly as they do Malcolm X. But I was yearning to see more of this later era of Malcolm X's life. And as I was watching Malcolm X, I was thinking to myself, wow, I think One Night in Miami will actually be so interesting because I believe that film does take place in that later part of his life that we honestly didn't get a ton of in Spike Lee's uh, story that he told of Malcolm X. So I kind of am interested to see if this fills in any gaps for that latter part of uh, of the last kind of years of X's life. Uh, I'm curious. I know it doesn't revolve around him wholly, but I am curious if this film is going to fill in any gaps that maybe I was yearning for with Malcolm X. And I hope that it does. And I hope that they make an interesting double feature together. Yeah, I'm, I think they're going to. I'm very excited. And it being a, you know, fictional account of that night that they all happen to be in the same city, we can kind of just slide it in to, you know, our headcanon for Malcolm X, <laughs> even if uh, Ben Kingsley Adir is uh, not Denzel Washington. I'm still very excited to see his performance as well as everybody else. Leslie Odom Jr., I think a very talented actor. And yeah, Regina King. Never seen the directorial uh, feature from her, so I'm very excited, and I, too, love her so much. So that'll be next week. But do you have anything else, Mackenzie? Nothing else from me other than I love Regina King. (laughs) Well, until then. See you next time on The Criterion Connection.